Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We are so excited that you're here with us today as we're connecting amazing dots between Jesus and his lordship and what's going on in our world. And uh, you're in for a real treat today, but we're just pausing. You know, last time we were together, we were so excited talking about uh, just the signs of Holy Spirit awakening across America, especially in our university campuses. But uh, I'm just excited because we're tasting that right here at home. And uh, as we've shared before on this podcast, you know, we've been in an amazing stretch of about two to three years uh, of God just adding to our congregation, uh, people excited, growing, dynamic worship, uh, hungry for the word, uh, ministries expanding, you know, just signs of life. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, this past weekend was no exception. I I was... Ministering and uh, and moving in life down in uh, Louisiana, yeah. unfortunately, it was a great time. But I hated being away. Uh, so tell me what went on. We had baptisms. Well, we had well, first of all, uh, Pastor Aaron and I were playing meteorologists on Friday. <laughs> Every couple minutes, we're stepping out. Is that snow? Is going to be rain? You know. And eventually, we made the correct call of canceling Friday night because it was like a foot of snow in like thirty minutes or whatever crazy it was. But we ended up having having a worship night on Sunday night, and it was an amazing, amazing night. Uh, We packed out the house. Well, and and we to save time on Sunday morning, we have been on our worship nights. We've been combining it with baptism because you know normally we have anywhere from ten to twenty people, and uh, and it's hard to squeeze it in on Sunday morning with parking lot issues and everything else. Um, But our our best laid plans exploded on us. We first of all we started here, and there was like forty people, then fifty people. Yeah. And I hear we ended up with 70 people. Yeah, we ended up having 70 people getting baptized on Sunday night. It was amazing. We had to break into three different you know, segments of baptism. So <laughs> With worship night in between. Yeah, worship night in between, <laughs> multitasking. Uh, yeah. And I heard, uh, again, we had the sanctuary was just packed wall-to-wall with people, which always yeah. makes uh, the worship... The energy in the room just We had to up. open up the overflow room, you know, just to allow, allow that accommodate all the people come in. So it was great. It was yeah. great vibe. Worship was awesome. Great time. Yeah. So praise yeah. the Lord. So anyway, I want to thank uh, all of our amazing worship team, uh, worship leadership. And and, and I heard, too, uh, just the, just figuring out where 70 baptisms fit in was no small uh, leadership task. People <laughs> lined up down the hallway. Yeah, and... we had to get like a checklist <laughs> to see you got your name, who's going when. So, yeah. Uh, very exciting. So praise the Lord. That's the difference Jesus makes. And uh, and we just want to highlight the greatness of the Lord as it relates to the things that you probably take for granted. You know, we grew up here in America and uh, the freedom and the rights and the liberty and just our worldview. It's like the like the fish in the water. That's all that we know. Uh, but as in this book that I'm highlighting, uh, and I encourage you all to get this. I was just talking about this book, by the way, with somebody down at the church in uh in Louisiana this week, um, most and I share this because most of, of the people sitting in our churches, they love the Lord and all that, but their brains have not been discipled in a biblical worldview, especially if they're the products of, of public whatever. You know, we're just not connecting the dots between our Christian worldview and why America is the way that we are. And the thing I love about this book, is called The Book That Made Your World, um, subtitled uh, How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization. This book is so, uh, so, so important. I, I, I would probably, if you asked me, like, Pastor, what are your top 10 favorite books? This one might be in the top five. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, this book, I, I love this book. It, 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 and the reason I love it is because the author is um, uh, Indian. raised Indian yeah. um, and raised and in, in immersed in a Hindu culture. 
And so when he's looking at the West, kind of like Alexis de Tocqueville when he came over from France and started looking at America and realizing how radically different the American culture was from the French culture and from Europe, uh, he had a different lens he was looking through, a different worldview. And so this man is looking at the West from the East. And because of that, he has some incredible insight and points out some things that we just probably take for granted, mm. one of them being the inherent dignity of human beings, and especially how that relates to just a simple thing like like parenting. And the story that he tells in here is heart, heartbreaking. Uh, I know you have daughters, I have daughters, but irregardless of what gender your children are, uh, this story about a girl named Sheila is just heartbreaking. And um, talk a little bit about that. I know that I, I had read this before, and I've talked about this in messages before. I think yeah. it's a powerful example of, of of the things again we just take for granted as Americans. But being a a little girl being raised in a Hindu family in a lower caste system for those who are familiar with the caste is no a, real hope of escaping that caste, right? The whole the whole. Uh, reincarnation, you know, fatalism. Yeah, fatal. You know, it, young people in the West often talk about you know reincarnation. Woo, like that's cool. That that is depressing. Reincarnation is miserable. is It's a fatalistic system, a, a, a cycle, a cyclical a cycle of pain and suffering. I mean, that's how oh, they view it. A, a futility. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just, again, it's, it's, it's mentally and spiritually bankrupt. Uh, but nevertheless, that, that is Hinduism. And, uh, and in this family in particular, um, they came across, uh, share, share a little bit of the background. Yeah, in, in, in this chapter we read about, uh, starts out with the fact that a thousand years ago, uh, the Muslim nations were, the Islamic nations were so much more advanced than any Western nation. Right, in terms yeah. of science and... Military, uh, arts, yeah. all these different areas. So basically, he's like, what happened? Again, he, this this author, Vish, Visho Mendelwaldi. Oh, you nailed it. Mendelwaldi. <laughs> like um, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, just say it confidently. Yeah, all of our, yeah they wouldn't know. Uh, viewers will, will, uh, <laughs> but, we but, already blew that, though. We already yeah. I mean, this guy is a very scholarly. He is, mm. he is highly educated. And he, he gives you that perspective, like you said, from the Eastern perspective, which yep. really... Help me understand how we have taken Western shit for granted, right. you know, and um, so and to highlight, yeah. just to, so to bring up a point, this is amazing. He says, if you take oil out of the equation, the five million people of Finland export more goods and services each year than 165 million people in the Arab world. Yep. Now that's unbelievable. I mean, Finland compared to the entire Arab world, it's not that Finnish people are smarter and. And brighter, more advanced. Yeah, because back then that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah. Something changed. Something, something changed. happened. So now we have more production from one tiny little European nation yeah. than from the entire... He even points out that even if you keep oil in the equation, most of the engineers and the people that run uh, those refineries right. are brought in from the West. Right. So what's the difference between an Islamic worldview and a Western worldview, and what causes a little tiny nation like Finland to, to outproduce... Uh, the entire, you know, Islamic block. Yeah. Um, 
Those are good questions. And, and so we're going to talk about that because certainly it's not, it has nothing to do right. with people being, it's not a, it's not a racial Inherently issue. Inherently smarter yeah, yeah. or more talented. It's a worldview It's issue. a cultural worldview yeah. issue. And so he starts with this mega question, right? Yep. Then he dives into a personal testimony to illustrate the point, which I was like, huh, that's an interesting angle. Right. So he talks about when he and his wife moved out of the city, this is in India, moved out of the cities into the, the smaller villages, some of the lower caste system. Yep. They encounter a, a, a little girl, they, his wife went to go visit different villages and his wife encountered uh, this little girl who brought his wife into their home and there was like a one or one and a half year old little baby girl who was basically, Sheila, who was basically die, dying from starvation, malnutrition. They said there were flies over her face, but she was too weak. Her, her, her muscles, her, her arm was so thin. She didn't, she's not even, she didn't have enough strength to wipe, to, to, to shoot the flies. Yeah. That's how weak she was. Yeah. And um, her, his wife was so full of compassion, so she's like, I will pay for everything. I will, she, so she's talking to the mother now. Right. I will pay for this little girl to the hospital. I will pay for your husband to take off time. We'll pay for it all. So, so here's, a, here's yeah. a Westerner, a Christian, who sees a, a little yeah. girl yeah. starving to death, and we instantly are filled with compassion, and we want to do whatever it takes to get that little girl Food, because we can fix this. She doesn't have to die. She right. doesn't have to starve to death. I mean, that, that's just the way. And I would say the vast majority of Americans would view the situation the same Regardless way. Regardless of your party or whatever, yeah. because of the underlying Western civ, we look at that situation, we'll feel a compassion for this little But through the girl. Hindu worldview... They found out that it was a completely different. Completely different, and they discovered this the hard way. Yeah. Because they end up, you know, they had to bring him, the author, the husband, to come. They had to almost force the family to allow them to take this little girl, help her recover a hospital. They took the little girl into their home, their own personal homes, help her recover. First of all, they said, uh, "Well, you know, this girl needs help. Yeah. Um, She needs to be taken to the hospital. She's going to die. You know." And the family resisted. Resisted. And over then they, and over again. And they, well, you know, the villagers was like, "No, nah, this is none of your business. Stay away from this." Yeah. And then, so it was. A, so it was a matter initially of, of money. You could say, "Well, you Westerners, or you're entitled, you're privileged, yeah. you don't understand what these people go through." But it's like, no, no, no. We will pay the bills. We will take the child to the hospital. Yep. We will pay the bills. We will make sure we return her to you healthy. Yeah. And there's still all kinds of resistance. They had to fight all that resistance. They eventually got the girl to the hospital, took care of her. She came back to their house. They nursed the little girl back to health. The mother came and said, hey, it's time for me to take my daughter. They give the daughter back, right? The same cycle happened exactly over again. The little girl got sick again. They pushed through. They did that, went to the hospital, took it back to their home, nursed the little baby to health, gave it back to the mother. And his wife, the author's wife, says, hey, the mother is going to learn her lesson. She's going to take care of this baby girl now. Yeah. And next thing they know, Sheila died. So, yeah. So the babies, they come back in the village, the girl's dead. What Devastation. Happened? Devastation. Because, and this is the part where, where the author was like, here is what is the fundamental divide. Because for us, from Western thinking, helping this little girl, there's intrinsic value in life in this little girl. But based on the Hindu caste system, this girl's life, she's going to live a life of pain, a life of suffering. She's going to cost the family a lot of money. She's already sick. This it's better that she would die. Sheila's parents starved her to death mm-hmm. because they saw her as a liability. Yep. They already had a daughter to babysit their sons and to clean and cook for the family. So first of all, 
that's the role of a woman in the Hindu system. Yep. She's going to babysit the kids. She's going to care for her brothers and the family, and she's going to cook. And, and according to the family, they don't need more than one daughter yep. to do that. They already have a daughter. So this other daughter, uh, Sheila, was a liability. They call her an unnecessary burden. They're going to have to feed her for 10 to 12 years. Then they need to go in debt to find a dowry to marry her off. And this is interesting. Her in-laws might torture her to extract more money from them. In those days, according to our national press, every year in-laws were killing around 300 young brides in our nation's capital in efforts to extract more dowry. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, so so that's amazing. She is she is a burden because they're already it's poor. Amazing, yeah. They don't need her. She's unnecessary. Uh, they have to feed her, and then they're going to have to marry her off. And she could be tortured to try to extract more money because right. they already don't have enough money. Not going to be able to to pay for her dowry. Which again, these are cultural things. So you can see why. And this is not mentioned in the book, but this is a reality. Selective abortions in places like India are huge because if you determine that it's a girl, that baby's going to be aborted. Mm -hmm. If it's a boy, they'll keep the boy. And so here we have situations where because of cultural values and because of the lack of value of a woman, um, these babies are just generally aborted before they even get a chance, girl babies, um, because of the lack of value that they possess, inherent value. Now, we're saying this is, this is, a, this is just the way, not just this family, the entire village. It, yeah, they affirm all that. This is just what you do. Yeah. You just let the girls starve to them. Let me read this. From the perspective of their culture, Sheila's parents were not wicked people. They were ordinary human beings, good as bad as anyone else. They loved their children. And if they had an American lawyer, he would argue that they killed their daughter out of love. It was mercy killing. Yeah, now this is, so this is the yeah. same wicked, demonic kind of thinking and arguments that we would hear in the West. Mm -hmm. Quality of life arguments, right? Oh, uh, it's, this person's a financial burden. In fact, Terry Schiavo, the, the, the woman in Florida, uh, the judge ruled that she should be taking off uh, life support. It wasn't artificial life support. It was just simply uh, feeding to Yeah. Uh, she was in a weakened condition and had been for many, many years. But the judge ruled that it was okay to starve this woman to death uh, because she was a liability. So we're already seeing this kind of wicked thought in America as we get farther and farther away from biblical truth. But this is absolutely immersed in this culture. This was absolutely normal. This is the thing that you do. This is the way that you think and the way that you reason based upon your cultural worldview, your Hindu worldview. So, so when I read this... It brought the gospel to unique light to me. Mm -hmm. Because in America today, when we talk about someone in, um, trusting their faith in Christ and becoming a Christian, it's a glorious, it's a fun, it's like an exciting thing, we celebrate, whatnot. But to these Eastern philosophy and cultures, the gospel is literally a game changer. I mean, I have a little girl that age. So when I first started reading this, I felt emotion well out my heart, but the compassion because I'm 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 this little girl's dad, and I, I couldn't imagine my little girl going through what they went through. I mean, it, it hit me so hard. I'm like, why are we doing this chapter? I picked this chapter. It's, it's bringing me to tears even just reading it. And then the Lord reminded me, He's like, yes. And every one of these little girls, I'm their dad. 
I am their father. And this is happening. That's why the world needs the gospel. So for me, at that moment, the gospel was not just like a, hey, fun, kind of, it was serious as anything. It's a transform, transformational force that the world needs to experience because of situations and stories like this. Well, it so, brought the context for so me. So when guys like, you know, now, okay, so now at our, our universities, Western missionaries, you know, are accused of shoving the gospel yeah. and ruining Colonizing people's people, Colonizing people, yeah. yeah. Imperialism and all this kind yeah. of nonsense. When godly people showed up in these nations that were Hindu or, or Muslim or whatever, their hearts were broken just like yours was, just like mine would be, broken with the condition of what's going on with the people. Precious little kids, kids living on streets, kids being prostituted, all of these just terrible, terrible things. And what happened is when, when your heart's broken, you go and you do something about it. So these cultures got lifted. These cultures got blessed. These cultures had things that were ungodly that were stopped, uh, like widow burning and throwing your kids into the Ganges River, uh, worshiping idols and worshiping false gods. These were all things that Christianity did to liberate nations because we thought it was absolutely unconscionable right. for this to happen. This is so. So we understand. This is more than just like, oh, there's something wicked happening, so we need to go stop it. This is that the community, because their worldview, sees something wicked as good. You cannot just go in and you might be able to help in one specific incident for a short amount of time, like they did for a short amount of time. But if you want to have lasting and cultural impact, you need to philosophically change their whole worldview. There needs to be a drastic changing of mindset that is only ushered in by the gospel. This is not just a humanitarian, hey, good feel, good story. You gotta change people's mind, and that's what the gospel brings. Yes. That's the and, power of the gospel. So for instance, that there are biblical ideas that shaped their view that caused them to look at that situation differently than someone who was raised in a culture entrenched with Hinduism. For instance, and I think this is good to point out. Number one, they looked at children as assets or liabilities, convenience or conveniences or burdens. We looked at them as human beings with intrinsic worth. So either that child is viewed purely in terms of economics. Yeah. Or that child is valuable because she's made in the image of God. We, this past Sunday, we just dedicated babies. Yep. And, and part of our dedication is to recognize that our children are gifts from God, and they ultimately belong to God. We're simply stewards of these treasures, right. Right. and they, they belong to the Lord. I mean, talk about two completely different perspectives on children, right? And two, you know, we so we talked over and over again in this podcast. Ideas have consequences. Yeah. It either means you're celebrating your daughter or you're starving your daughter to death, that's the difference that those two ideas make. That's, that is a radical set of uh, differing consequences based on your belief, based on your ideas. We said we said at the first uh, episode on this book, ideas are the infrastructure of reality. Like if you have a wicked idea, it's going to produce all kinds of evil, and that's certainly what was happening, at least in this situation. Another thing that's important, we believe, he says, uh, in God's command, you shall not murder, that every human person has a fundamental right to life. So little Sheila, from a Western Christian worldview perspective, has a right to live her life and to, and to because her life is created by God and, and her life has a destiny and she's not in a fatalistic world where she has no control. She's created in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. She can make choices that will directly determine the outcome of her life. And we ought to protect that life. Absolutely. We aren't just like, let it, no, we ought to protect it. How about this? We intervene because we believe God's co commanded us to speak up for those who cannot yeah, speak exactly. for themselves. 
for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. So these are deep biblical convictions that have been inbred in those of us who have been raised in, in a Christian worldview to where you see injustice happening. You cannot just sit back and ignore it or go, or, you, or what we hear today is kind of this multiculturalism that says, you know, well, who are we to judge how the people in that village are living their lives? It's none of our business. I mean, if that's the way, if that's what they believe is true, right, all this moral relativism and religious pluralism, if they believe that's good for them and that's true and that's part of their tradition, then who are we to judge it? Well, watching you starve your girl to death, uh, your own child to death, is not your right because there's a God in heaven who has told us what mercy and justice and truth is, and we have a responsibility to proclaim it. That's that is a Christian worldview, uh, but obviously uh, it 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 is a radically different worldview than the than what they encountered. Um, they said the parents knew that Sheila's life was was an unwanted as an unwanted girl in their casting culture it was going to be especially miserable. Her future was doomed to be dark. And so, therefore, because of Hindu fatalism, the best thing for them to do was to take her life. Yeah. Um, tragic. And again, any, anybody that's raising a child or a parent would, is just heartbroken over the thought of watching this little girl's emaciated body. Uh, so so he, he, he kind of diverse into this deep, deep personal, like, shocking story when I read it. And then he kind of ties back to the original presenting question, which is why is the West different from the rest, right? I got sucked into the story. I forgot his original question. But he ties it all together. He says, by shifting our mindset to truly value life is what made Western says so successful. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's profound. So, so look at the great divide in American culture today. I think this is instructive, okay? Why is it that it's, it's like we have two Americas? Um, I would like to suggest that when we embraced Roe v. Wade and we basically embraced abortion as a means of birth control in this country, um, we, we radically strayed from the, our Judeo-Christian uh, foundations where life is valuable, where children are a gift, um, where uh, inalienable rights coming from God protect every life in the womb uh, that everybody uh, deserves a chance to pursue uh, their God-given dream and call. Um, what happened in America is we put a massive wedge. We basically started saying that life in the womb, that first of all, it, it wasn't life. You know, we, we argued that was the initial argument. It wasn't really life. And then we started talking about um, the rights of moms over their babies. We put a wedge between mother and their children, father and their children. But we have been living for over 50 years now uh, in a culture that embraces uh, the slaughter of innocence in the womb. And it does not surprise me that we're having this massive cultural divide over euthanasia, uh, uh, over how we view human life itself, the, the increasing violence, especially in our urban areas, um, the cheapening of life, the coarsening of life. All of these are directly attached to what you believe about that child in that womb. Yeah. Uh, what is your view of, of children? What is your view of family? What is your view of life itself? And where did, where did those ideas come from? I mean, when you have people now wearing t-shirts celebrating the 15 abortions they had, or, or, uh, or, or like joking about uh, murdering a child in the womb, like to where it's a callous thing, it's not that far removed from from no. what they're doing with kids no. outside the womb in India, for yeah. instance. I mean, it's a, it's a small little jump. 
between the inside in the womb, out of the womb, and our view of, of children. Um, and so ideas have consequences, and I think that's that's what we're trying to get across here. He, like you said, he goes now into this deep dive of of what does Hindu religion, you know, teach, and is there a value in life itself? And what you find out because of reincarnation, I thought this was interesting. Um, the uh, reincarnation means that death for a soul is like the changing of clothes. Yeah. Uh, that you don't really feel pity for anybody who dies because they're just going to come back in another form, and there's this endless cycle. Of, uh, of life that actually cheapens life so, because so, your life now doesn't really matter. So, so imagine living in that society in which the, the shame and the guilt and the horrors of taking a life is so cheapened because, well, you, you're just reincarnated anyway. Yeah. What does that society look like? Yeah. How do you construct that society? Well, so, we say from a Christian worldview, your life matters. You, you only have a limited time on planet Earth. Your life matters because you're created in the image of God. Yeah. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. And there's an eternity. Uh, you're going to stand before God. You're, there's accountability coming. You're going to give an account for your life. Yeah. Of course, reincarnation just cheapens it all into a fatalistic uh, cycle, endless cycle of coming back. You might come back as a fly, a maggot, a pig, a dog, whatever, depending on how you lived your life. But even then, you, that life is just an endless cycle of the larger thing. And in fact, your life's really not that important because you're, got, you're trying to get lost into uh, the life force of, of the right. universe. Cause, one with the cosmos. Yeah, one with the cosmos, blah, blah, blah. This is the depressing uh, fruit of Buddhism and Hinduism. Uh, and and I, I never have a problem, I know it's controversial, but I never have a problem saying publicly that these are false religions and you know that they're false by the horrific fruit that they produce. They produce the poverty mentally, spiritually, emotionally, in every way. Uh, they do not hold a candle to the fruit of the Christian worldview. Um, and we're trying to expose all of that. I mean, you know, th this isn't some fashionable, cool thing. I think I'm going to be a Buddhist. You don't even know what you're talking about because Buddhism has produced death and devastation uh, wherever it is embraced. Um, so anyway, let's talk a little bit about what separates the West from the East as it relates to the value of human life because that's really our topic today. If you go back to a lot of secular versions of, of America and where we got our idea of rights, mm -hmm. A lot of the secularized versions say that our rights came from the Greek and Roman tradition. Um, but that is absolutely false. Uh, when you look at the Greek and Roman tradition and their view of human beings, for instance, I know in Greek culture, uh, if a fa the father had the determining factor on whether or not he wanted the child, any children that were deformed, or if you got a daughter and you didn't want a daughter, these children were left out in the wilderness, eaten by wolves, or they became the prey of sexual predators or whatever. Uh, you will not find the solid foundation and footing for Western liberty and dignity and human, human, human rights in the Greek and Roman culture. They piggybacked whatever was good in those cultures. It was borrowed from the, the Judeo-Christian worldview. And, and so let's talk about this whole idea of... of um, being made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis chapter 1. We don't have to get very far into the Bible. Genesis right. chapter 1. Uh, what does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? So let me, let me go ahead and read this. This is Genesis 1, uh, 26. Uh, then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, 
and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, govern it, uh, and reign. You know, this is a powerful, powerful uh, couple of verses that have been the the infrastructure, the ideological infrastructure for all of the goodness that we have in the West as it relates to how we treat people with, with dignity. Let's unpackage that a little bit. Lay that foundation. What What is the image of God, the fact that we're made in the image of God, have to do with our inherent value? I guess some people might be going, okay, connect the dots for me. Well, inherent value is found from itself God, right? God is the creator. By definition, if you're the creator, you get to define what's valuable. And you're the creator, you're the author, you're the one who's, who dictates what is valuable. You define what's valuable. You are valuable. Hence, you create the world. And when you're made the image and likeness of God, there is a, a intrinsic, not an extrinsic or... Right. or, or um, From the outside. On the outside, but, but, a, but an intrinsic, you can't be removed value that belongs to every human being. Yeah. And that's a powerful, that's a really deep, profound uh, statement that the scholars in the past discovered in scripture says that's a that's a game changer so, so god is most valuable he is the foundation of everything that is good and true and right and just and beautiful that's who god is by definition when he makes sons and daughters this is important too because we we talked about this in previous podcast but human beings are binary because god says you're binary yep. you're either a male or you're female and here's the cool thing Females, as many cultures uh, believe, and that's a whole other topic I'd love to get into on our podcast, is how Christianity elevated the value and worth of women. Usually, we're, we're, we're said that we do just the opposite, but the truth is, wherever Christianity has gone, women have been elevated. Mm -hmm. So here you have male and female, not male and female, right. hierarchical, but male and female, both equally valuable, both equally image bearers. Uh, Equally to be treated as gifts and treasures, not, oh, we already have a girl, let's starve this girl to death. No, 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 no. Precious, incredibly valued, as you pointed out, gifts from God. Um, male, female. We talk about that's the essence. Man in the image of God, male and female. And from these truths flow all the truths about man's relationships and duties toward God, toward other people, particularly about sexuality, marriage, and pro procreation. The creation order God established in the beginning remains normative throughout human history. So this regards our essence. There are men, there are women, there is marriage, there are children, there are family, there is divine order, and none of this has changed. This is the foundation for every healthy society. If you get this wrong, you're going to have all kinds of incredible uh, uh, fabric beginning to tear, I guess, and fall apart. We're seeing that right now in American culture. Yeah. Um, then it, it talks about the mission of man. We are to multiply, fill the earth, etc. So human beings, I thought this was good. We're created in freedom. We're not in a fatalistic culture. God created out of freedom. He did not need to create anything. It was a choice God made. He made us in his image and likeness. We have the freedom to make choices. Uh, that's why we, we embrace... Um, uh, responsibility in the West and we reject victimhood we're not fatal we're not living in a fatalistic world uh, we can't change things uh, you know da, da, da. We, yeah. we have the ability to make choices we have the ability uh, to change the trajectory of our life and that freedom that God gives us has always been protected and celebrated 
in Western democracies. So, so this book even contrasts that because now we again take for granted the Western said like, oh, your future is what you make of it. You know, you can be whatever you want, and we obviously we take that to extreme. But there's a degree of yeah, you want to be a doctor, work hard, you know, go to medical school, right. pursue your dream. Where those we take those ideas for granted. But what he talked about is that Eastern fatalism that sees the man as a, a victim the world of spirits and harmful forces and the cosmos form of fate and we can't resist against it. We're just, the best we can do is shelter and survive. Whereas the gospel gave us a completely different perspective. It says, no, we've given you, you've been given heritage to, to rule and reign and make better and, and create order and create things and design and innovate and grow. That's two completely different worldviews. When I when I go overseas and preach, right? I literally have to stop and go. Wait a minute. Is what I'm preaching flowing out of of, of the Judeo Christian value that I've enjoyed as an American that they have no frame of reference for? Like for instance, Americans are visionaries. The fact that we are dreamers is something that we should never take for granted because you can only dream when you're not a slave. Slaves don't dream. And I'll tell you what, I've been to India. I've been to China. I've, I've been to uh, a lot of these nations that are rooted in either atheism or Hinduism or Islam. And you see people, their day starts early in the morning. They go to their little shop. They're going to sell apples. And they're going to sit there all day long. And that's what they do. They sell apples. And when the sun goes down, they go back to their little shack. And uh, they try to survive on what they made. And they get up the next day. And I, and I sit there... As I'm driving down those streets, I'm thinking, wow, what, what kind of world is this that they're living in? Um, or you have an elite group of, of people, right, who are, who are in the caste system or at the top of the heap. And their view of these other people is not, you know, Andrew, you're made in the image and likeness of God. You have unlimited potential. You have incredible gifting. Uh, in other words, my job as a leader is to see that gifting come out of you. No, they have a very low view of human beings. Uh, they have a very negative view of human beings, a very dark view of human beings. Um, and frankly, again, if you're not in charge or you're not the highest caste, you're just one step above a dog uh, in people's eyes. You don't have any inherent value at all. Yeah. And so it's a very limited, negative uh, view that keeps the whole culture down. It causes a, a, like a lid to be placed on the entire nation. So you could look at you could look at uh, India right now with you know the billions of people in that nation, and there and I've been to India, man. There's you're sitting at the stoplight, and I'm I'm literally I'm this close to the guy next to me, you know, on his scooter uh, because there's so many people. A Christian would look at that and go, you know what? This look at the untold, untapped potential that's all around me. Because we, we have a high view of people, a high view of human nature, a high view of people made in the image of God. In those countries, those people are just looked as, as food eaters. They're consumers. They're burdens. Uh, where are we going to sleep them all? How are we going to feed them all? Um, you know, we need to get rid of them. I mean, a lot of the globalists now, we need to call the earth, right? Because Mother Earth can't be... It, it's a, it is a dystopian negative view of people because they're not viewed as people made in the image of God. One, one idea away from providing food for millions of people, yep. right? Um, because we just believe humans made in the image and likeness of God have unbelievable potential. Uh, so ideas have consequences. Here, here's a, 
There are some things that it means to be created in the image of God. And this is probably a good place. Well, next, next week we'll get into the second incredible idea, which is the incarnation. But, but this is important. I am created, a creative rather, because I am God created. I, I am a creative creature, whereas machines merely produce things. I am free. God freely chose to create, which means I can freely choose to create. I can imagine. Animals simply accept what is, but human beings made in the image and likeness of God can imagine a different future. How about this? I can reason. People, even atheists, love to celebrate reason. But why is it that I can reason? Well, it's because God is rational and orderly and intelligent, and I'm made in his image and likeness. I can transcend my circumstances. I can change reality for the better. I am not a powerless slave to my circumstances. I'm not a pawn of fate or determinism uh, or fatalism. I can speak because God speaks. Because God has spoken, we can speak. Language is what makes me a, a uniquely human. Uh, I have a personality, and because God is personal and can be known, I am personal and can be known, and you're personal and can be known. I am moral. God said, let there be light. He pronounced what was good. He made moral judgments. Therefore, we are made in his image and likeness. We make moral judgments. There is right and there is wrong. And God expects us and holds us accountable to act in ways that are right and not in ways that are wrong. So my ability to discern goodness and beauty and truth are all part of what it means to be uniquely human. And that simple idea has set the West and nations that are founded on a biblical understanding of humanity radically different and radically apart from nations who do not share those ideas. Yeah. This is why it was interesting, you know, America always wants to, we're going to go and we're going to bring democracy to this country and we're going to transform this country. We know that's a silly idea because you cannot bring a concept imported into a culture that does not share the intellectual underpinnings to yeah. sustain that idea. You so need a foundational change first. That's right. That you have to, like you said, you have to shape their worldview. And that's what Christianity has done. We start teaching people the Bible. When they see the truth about the Bible, they start connecting those dots and it completely changes your outlook on, on all of reality. You, you can't pick and choose and say, here's a great Disney story. I'm going to throw that at you. But the, the underlining foundation, well, just don't think about that. Human beings are not that wired that way. You have to give them the proper foundation from the very beginning. And then, then people can reason and say, well, if I made an image likeness of God, then I am valuable. Yeah. And then you're valuable. Then maybe I shouldn't murder you. And I maybe should I treat my wife well and treat my kids well. You exactly. know? It starts with the foundation. Yeah, like how do I treat my wife? Well, God talked about that in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, and if we read that, we go, ah, I'm not treating my wife right. But here's the sad thing, okay? We've been called, in America, what's called a cut flower generation. We have these beautiful flowers, but someone came along with a knife or a machete and cut them off from their <coughs> source. So we have a generation today, especially in our public universities and public schools, They've never been introduced to a Christian worldview. They they know the ideas. They do not know the roots. They, they, they like the ideas. fruit. They like the nice flower. They yep. like the fact that oh, you guys are treating me with dignity, and you guys care about me, and we're going to help the poor. You never wonder where is the philosophical foundation that says that you ought to help the poor or yep. help those in need. Yep. I went to a university when I was in grad school. I I, I went in and lectured a class on uh, on ethics and morality and. And, uh, and I just, I really probed them on this very thing, because most of them were not Christians. It was a very secular college. 
And um, we talked about morals. And of course, they were in the, well, whatever you feel is the right thing to do, you know. So I, we talked about the Holocaust. We talked about what Hitler did. And, and, and I, said, well, I said, why was what Hitler did wrong? And they said, well, because he, he murdered people. And I said, why is murder wrong? Silence. I mean, silence. I said, why is it wrong to go kill somebody? If you feel like doing it, or they make you mad, or what, why is it wrong to go kill somebody? Why is murder wrong? Crickets. Because the answer is murder is only wrong if God Almighty, the foundation of all that is, says it is wrong to shed innocent blood. In other words, right. you have a you have a revel, a revelation from God, a thus saith the Lord that establishes a moral principle. If you do not have God as the transcendent arbiter of what is true, then why is why is murder wrong? You don't have an answer for why murder is wrong. And, and some people say, well, as a society, we can deem it as wrong. Well, you're still constraining this idea within the society because, again, in Hitler's society, murder isn't wrong. Right, murdering certain people was right. Was right. So, so again, what you're looking for is for a transcendent uh, principle that that transcends culture and society. Says it's wrong in any culture. Right, right. And you can't really say that unless you have a transcendent person who is who has a right and authority and the power to declare that. Yeah. Now you get to the whole God question, right? Yeah. So, so much again of what of the air that we breathe. Uh, where there's so many atheists attacking Christianity based on the freedoms that Christianity created, the foundation for reason that Christianity created, the fact that you're creating the image of God and you're breathing and you're able to, to, to form thoughts and communicate those thoughts. I mean, so, excuse me, so much of what they're doing, they've stolen from our worldview, and yet they don't even know that they've stolen. You know, just last thing I want to say, right now in America today, we have such a paradox. On one end, we have people who truly devalue life. See, human being has no different from a dog or insect right. or whatnot. On the, these same people, on the other hand, will see us ourselves. Well, they will live as if we are gods ourselves. We can change anything about us. There's no, there's no God. We create ourselves. We're self-determined. Postmodernism. We ourselves are God. It's like these two crazy paradoxes on, on extremes and trying. To, I mean, it, it contradicts itself in so many different ways. But in the Christian worldview, is this delicate, beautiful, I won't even say balance, this, this beautiful picture that we ourselves are not gods. We are creation. We are not the creator. We ourselves is limited. We have boundaries. But at the same time, we are so treasured and valuable because we're made in his life, image and likeness. Yeah. That is the beautiful place where we can find true harmony and true peace and joy and create great society based on this beautiful picture of our identity. Yeah. So well said. And next uh, next podcast, we're going to get into another incredibly rich treasure um, that that adds intrinsic value to human nature and human beings. And we're going to talk about the incarnation and the game changer that Jesus was when God Himself took on human flesh and identified with our humanity uh, to rescue us and to redeem us. So that'll be next week. We hope you'll tune in. Hey, please like this and share it and help us get the word out. We continue want to build our viewership, and we believe uh, uh, that these types of truths, especially in today's world, are so, so valuable. So thanks for your time. We never take it for granted. We love you guys. Have a great week.